Hello and welcome back into the College Age Movement podcast. We are in part three of a series entitled Follow. Last week, we talked to our junior high pastor, Mikey Wall, and uh, he walked through what it means to take up our crosses and ask some really challenging questions. And, and to reintro the series, the kind of the whole concept behind it is simply the conversations through the invitations of Jesus. There are multiple times throughout scripture where Jesus physically invites people to follow him, but he also talks about the importance of following him, what it means to follow him. And so we are going to find ourselves in the Gospel of John and a story of Jesus interacting with a group of his own Jewish people. So to set the stage a little bit here, um, we have to understand something really clearly. Most people were not super pumped at the arrival of Jesus onto the scene. The Romans didn't like when people got stirred up, and the Jews had been disappointed by many self-proclaimed messiahs before. It wasn't as simple as a neon flashing sign above Jesus saying, like, this is actually the guy that you have been waiting for all this time. There were a ton of questions and concerns. And Jesus, as we will see in this next passage, deals with that head on. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 26 says this. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How will you keep us? How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. So at first look, this passage always comes off as a little aggressive from Jesus. Um, I did tell you, but you aren't my sheep. Like That feels like he's just looking them straight in the eyes and being like, sorry, like you didn't make the cut. But what's really interesting is that Jesus actually hadn't specifically affirmed his messiahship to anybody but the Samaritan woman at the well at this point, which in itself is absolutely incredible that the only person outside of his disciples that he has told quote-unquote plainly, that he is the Messiah, is a woman who was foreign, who had multiple husbands, got divorced, then was currently living with a man that was not her husband. This was like the lowest of lows. This is what the, the religious elite would say. Like, you don't even speak to this woman. In fact, she says, why are you, a Jewish man, a rabbi, speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? Because Jesus liked to flip the narrative on its head. And to this point, the Jewish people, the people that he had come to, to, to change everything, to be the fulfillment of the call of the Old Testament, they were asking to be told plainly. His criticism is that he had been speaking and he had been performing miracles for a while at this time. And he may have been a little bit frustrated that they were needing to be, quote unquote, told plainly. More words weren't going to do anything significant if the signs, wonders, and words that had already been spoken hadn't brought about faith in them. The problem is that they weren't really paying close attention. They had difficulty truly seeing what Jesus was doing because they were too focused on themselves. So the first question this week is, are we paying attention? Are we paying attention? I think that most of us would love if everything in life was just obvious and had no gray area, especially when it comes to our faith. And so many of us have been frustrated with situations where we, we are looking for answers, and Jesus doesn't just 
highlight the right decision to make. And that's what we want, right? We're just like, just show me what you want me to do. Just show me. Make it plain. Tell us plainly. The problem is that we put the pressure on Jesus to reveal the answers that we're looking for instead of putting pressure on ourselves to know Jesus better in the first place. A majority of the Jewish people during Jesus' time didn't want to put the work into discovering who Jesus really was. And I think that we often fall into that exact same trap. Getting to know Jesus better is something that that we all would probably say, yeah, I want to do that. I absolutely want to know Jesus better. But what we have to understand is that even in our early relationships, all of us have have an innate desire to know people on a deeper level, and that takes time. That takes patience. That takes effort. And that exact same, or those exact same principles play a huge role in whether or not we're going to know Jesus the way that he desires us to know them or know him. We often convince ourselves we don't have enough time. We often convince ourselves we don't have enough patience. We convince ourselves that it would take too much effort. But the fact of the matter is is that if we want to know Jesus well, we have to put in intentional time, patience, and effort. And that releases the pressure on ourselves, releases the pressure on Jesus to show us the way because we already know his heart for us. I think what we all can agree on is that people that we spend the most time with are naturally going to be the ones we know the most about. I think about my parents growing up, and whether I was a kid or in high school, anytime I was under their roof, I don't know how many times I was like, hey, mom, can I go do this thing? I go hang out with my friends. Can I go do this? Whatever it may be. And so many times my mom would hit me with the classic answer, why don't you go ask your dad? And you know what? 95% of the time, I didn't go ask my dad because I already knew what he was going to say. If he didn't want me to go to a situation, I knew that he was going to say no. And if he was fine with me hanging out with my friends, I knew, like, I would just, I wouldn't ask him. I'd just go and be like, hey, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And he'd be like, all right, cool. Because I knew my dad. I knew situations. I had spent so much time with him. We even get to spend time, like, if, if you're in your workplace, you might know people that you spend so much time with so well, and they're not even people that you choose to know that much about, right? They're coworkers. They're people that they live a completely different lifestyle than you. But because you spend significant time with them, you know about their lives. And you grow to love people for who they are and, and what they, they bring to the table and all their stories and their past and all of their dreams and aspirations and all those different things. But you get to know those people even if you wouldn't have chosen to be with them in the first place because you spend significant time with them. We need to spend significant time with Jesus. I truly believe that if we would just invest time into finding out who Jesus is, what his character is, what his heart for us is, what the call is on our life, the answers that we end up looking for will consistently be clearer and will consistently come quicker. So Jesus looks this group of Jewish people in, in the eyes and say, you're not my sheep. You don't believe me. You're not my sheep. So the question is, what does Jesus have to say about those that are his sheep? And it goes on to say this in chapter 10, verse 27 of John. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So the first point is this, is his sheep listen to his voice. This theme has actually come up several times over the last year, and I think it just solidifies how important it is. The shepherd and the sheep narrative was absolutely crucial for the culture and the time. 
that we have to understand that there were so many shepherds and so many sheep on these hillsides of these these towns. It was it was a massive moneymaker. It was how they made clothing. It was how they, they got food. It was what they used for sacrifices. Like sheep were were massive. And the shepherds, even though they were kind of the lowest people in society, they had these this incredible knack of actually shepherding their sheep. And it wasn't just because they had a staff and it wasn't because they had a bunch of sheep dogs. Is because their sheep recognized their voice. That even in the cacophony of noise that they dealt with, even if they came against another herd, even if, if they came against another shepherd or someone came out and tried to rile them up, they recognized the shepherd's voice. A solid indication of whether or not someone truly knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah was that they knew his voice or that we know his voice. When he spoke... The people of the time that were following Jesus assigned the appropriate amount of authority to his words. And that's the call on our lives as well, that we would assign the appropriate amount of authority to his words. I want to backtrack just a touch to verses 22 through 23, which at the time we read it, it may have seemed a little bit inconsequential, but, but they t- hold a ton of value. It says, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. It doesn't seem like it's that important, but contextually, culturally, this is what we have to understand. As Jesus is walking in the outer court of the temple, the Jewish people are celebrating Hanukkah. They're celebrating Hanukkah. I think we too often think of Jesus as a white dude with long flowing hairs and blue eyes and, and a flower over his ear, and he's holding one of his sheep, his little baby lambs, in his arm. But what? What we have to understand is that he was controversial. He was a rebel. If he was going to come and tell people that they, that they weren't his sheep, if he was going to come and challenge people, he could have done it not during Hanukkah, not during a giant festival, a giant celebration. Because as the Jews were celebrating their heritage, their country, their kings, the retaking of the temple, all of these different things, Jesus makes it very clear that he was going to take precedent over all of those things. Jesus was Jewish. He wasn't knocking them for their celebration. He was just stepping into the middle of their culture, into the middle of what they knew, in the middle of their celebration, and he was assigning the appropriate authority, assigning the appropriate priority. That he was saying, I am going to take priority over all these things that you are celebrating. All these things that you are doing need to be under me, and that made people mad. For us, it is a massive reminder that we can be in the midst of many good things, but Jesus' voice should always take priority. Our celebrations, our traditions, our opinions, our politics, all those different things, we can be immersed in them, and we can have good opinions, and we have good good traditions, and we, we can have a, a huge care for our country and, and all of our family and all those different things, but if we truly believe that Jesus is who he said he is, his voice has to be the loudest in our lives. When we can honestly say that his voice is the loudest, we will find ourselves in really good places. If not, we get the opportunity to shift. We serve a gracious God, a merciful God, a loving God who says, hey, I fully understand I'm not the loudest voice in your life. And we can probably all raise our hands and say, yeah, in this season, not the loudest voice in my life. In other seasons, short seasons, man, I'm really good at letting Jesus speak the loudest. But we have to be people who recognize the voice of God, people who listen to his voice and say, yep, that's the loudest thing. It's the most influential thing in 
my life. The second thing, he says his sheep follow him, which I know is an incredibly creative point. His sheep follow him. For a series called Follow, Dynamite really, really went out on a limb to, to, to come up with that point. But here's the thing. As we become people who are actively listening for the voice of God, we have to be people who actively respond to the voice of God as well. We don't just hear, we don't just listen, we don't just recognize, we follow and we obey. We cannot just be people who recognize the voice. We have to be people who obey it. Following Jesus isn't easy, and he never said it would be. And I think that it's important for us to understand that just like any other relationship, the effort, the intentionality are necessary. It would be really nice if we just had to sit in silence for five minutes each day. God then spoke audibly to us, and he said, like, hey, Evan. And I was like, oh, that's God. And it was just very clear. And then he said, you're perfect. Keep doing whatever you're doing. And we just moved along with our lives. That is not how it works. That is absolutely not how it works. Unfortunately, we have to actually put work into knowing Jesus. And when we do feel an impression from the Lord, it's a mixed bag of love and celebration and challenge and conviction and a plethora of other things. And that is where we get to decide to actively follow him and his will for our life daily. We don't just recognize his voice and be like, oh, wow, I love what he had to say to me today. I have no problem continuing to do what he's asking me to do. We have to decide daily that when he challenges, when he convicts, when he encourages, whatever it may be, that we would say, I hear you, I love you, and I am going to obey you. And I think it leads us to ask ourselves this question. Do I actually trust the voice of Jesus enough to follow? I worked in the service industry for 10 years. Uh, uh, my senior year of high school, um, through college, got married, was there for a couple more years, and I was looking for a way out. I felt stuck. I wasn't in a job that I was passionate about, that I thought had any purpose. I was just uh, feeding people pasta and, and making tips, and it was a job. It was good. I loved the people that I worked with, but I felt stuck. And one of my mentors encouraged me to do an internship at the church here, and I remember a Saturday night, and I was at a table, and I heard heard a very clear impression that I should do the internship, and so I didn't. I didn't do the internship at first. I, I pushed it off. I was 23 at the time. I was five years older than than any of the other interns that were going to do the internship. I, I just fought against it, and, and while I was stuck and wanting a way out and Jesus was providing it, I fought against it like crazy. It's because I didn't trust the voice of Jesus enough in my life. I didn't trust that Jesus had my best intentions in mind. Eventually, I said yes. Eventually, that turned into an internship with our missions department here at the church, which then led to an internship doing college ministry, which then led to a part-time job, which now is a full-time job as a pastor that I cannot believe. I'm in awe constantly that I get to call this my job, that I get to pastor young adults, the most unbelievable young adults in the entire country. I'm so thankful that despite my mistrust Despite my lack of trust of Jesus and his voice in my life, I eventually said yes, and it led me to a really incredible place. If we are truly listening for the voice of God, we have to determine in our hearts whether or not we're going to follow the call that is made. Chapter 10, verses 28 through 30 go on to say, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the Father are one. See, Jesus had no problem giving assurances. With unwavering confidence, Jesus makes promise after promise throughout 
throughout scripture and we have to decide if we trust him. The next 10 verses talk about these Jewish people getting really angry. Um, They try to seize Jesus. They try to stone Jesus. They accuse him of blasphemy and then being possessed by a demon. They say that his signs and wonders are are only happening because he's possessed by a demon and and he escapes. And then there's this three-verse passage that wraps up chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. It says, then Jesus went back, went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man being Jesus was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. At first, when I read this, I just kind of blasted through it and, and thought that it was just like this pretty little bow on the chapter and that the last three verses really had nothing to do with the story that's being told throughout the 15 or so verses that we've read already. But then when I read through it a second time, I I realized a couple of things. That the Apostle John, writing about John the Baptist, is making some things very, very clear. That as Jesus says, my people know my voice, he was saying John the Baptist knew the voice of God. And as he's saying, my sheep follow me, he's saying John the Baptist followed the instruction of God. John the Baptist followed Jesus. John the Baptist said to all of his disciples, the moment that Jesus stepped into the river when he baptizes Jesus earlier in this chapter, he says, go follow him, not me. That's the Messiah. The call on John the Baptist's life was, was clear at a very early age. Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, an angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. This is John the Baptist's father. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for Jesus. From the very beginning, there was a call on the life of John the Baptist. He trusted God. He was a perfect example of someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit listened actively, and lived with action in response. I think it is a beautiful representation of this truth. Our willingness to listen and follow in our own lives will lead to others doing the same. It says, in that place, many believed in Jesus. In that place, that place that John the Baptist was baptizing people in the early days. See, John the Baptist tilled the soil that Jesus eventually harvested. And if that can be said about my life, if that can be said about your life, I think we could all agree that those are lives well lived. Hey, thank you for tuning in to the College Age Movement podcast again. If you're in Billings, please, please come hang out with us Tuesday nights, 7 o'clock here at Faith Chapel. 
if you're not in Billings or you're not comfortable coming to in-person gatherings yet or, or you're busy on Tuesday nights, whatever it may be, keep listening to the podcast. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you uh, do social media, and get connected. We've got Bible plans. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. We love you guys, and we'll talk to you very soon.